Welcome to Prayers and Ponderings, a podcast of the Heartland Conference of the United Church of Christ. I'm Conference Minister Rev. Dave Long Higgins, and I'm delighted you have found this invitation to a precious pause for occasional prayers and other ponderings that we hope will deepen your sense of God's loving presence and hopefully offer some wisdom from a wide variety of voices along the way. We're delighted you're here and look forward to sharing more with you. And now, the precious pause. We are blessed in this conference by many gifted preachers. Today, we have the privilege of hearing from one of them. Reverend Joanna Diagostino, a number of you know, is senior pastor at Lakewood Congregational Church. But that's not her whole story, you know. Her whole story is that wherever she preaches, she carries with her a family of support that is a foundation and a strength. She's got Evelyn and Amos and Suzette and Mike in her closest circle of support. Do you know what I'm talking about? And their family have three cats, a dog, and a lizard, which is not unimportant information to know. But she has as a heart, whenever I'm with her, that makes my heart come alive. And so, get ready to come alive and rise up. Joanna, will you come and deliver a word for us? A reading from the Gospel of Luke. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had been uh, crippling her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and he said, woman, you are set free from your ailment. And when he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and she began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, there are six days on which one ought to be, on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites, does not each of you untie his ox or his donkey on the Sabbath from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be set free from bondage on this Sabbath day. And when he said this, all his opponents were put to shame and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all of the wonderful things that he was doing. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. 
God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts in this hour, in this time, be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I'll thank you first for the privilege of uh, preaching on this glorious occasion, and, and I'll echo back to Dave that when I am in his presence, I feel a lightness and a joy, and I am just so grateful for um, to hear those words in that mirror reflected back at me. Um, as, as we gather together in physical presence for the first time in three years, it is a glorious occasion for the Heartland Conference. Now, also with the gift of live stream and with video recording, we know that God has a way of connecting us across time and space in a way that maybe we didn't realize before. In fact, I'll say hello to a group of folks from my church who are um, watching from Zoom uh, from our church parlor. Uh, and so grateful that they're gathered there together today and uh, that we have some uh, who are here with us from Lakewood Congregational Church in person as well. At LCC, we are like many of our congregations, stewards of an old building. Our cornerstone was laid in 1915 and our building is large and maze-like with many sets of stairs and many hidden rooms. As most of you might know, uh, this is such a common thing for our churches. It is both a privilege and a burden to be the stewards of an older building. Our buildings are for some a tool for ministries and ministry and for others an obstacle. Uh, this is an ongoing conversation I won't get into, but at LCC, our building is and has historically been an essential piece of our ministry, an essential piece of our mission. I like to use the term for it, the ministry of physical space, of providing a place to be, to gather. But for over the, the past 105 years or 107 years, we've gone through seasons of excellent upkeep and seasons of deferred maintenance. And it is certainly a lot to care for. I'm gonna share a story about our building here, um, but I wanna pause for a moment to, to take a sidestep for a moment to acknowledge that stewardship of our buildings is rooted in a deeper stewardship of our land. Um, and to acknowledge that we at Lakewood Congregational Church, we worship on the traditional homeland of the Lenape, the Delaware, the Shawnee, the Wyandotte, the Miami, the Ottawa, the Potawatomi and other Great Lakes tribes. The congregation I serve in Northeast Ohio occupies land which was forcefully ceded by 1,100 chiefs and warriors signing the Treaty of Greenville in 1795. In the Heartland Conference, your churches span a broader geography, the traditional homelands of native, native peoples who stewarded this land before us with sacred resilience. They touched it lightly and regarded it as sacred. I could name them all, but I won't right now. I'd encourage you to in your, in your spaces as you can. Living with respect and healing partnership, we're called to steward God's earth. 
And so we also acknowledge the thousands of Native Americans who now or still call the land that makes up the Heartland Conference, Ohio, Northern Kentucky, and West Virginia home. Especially those who continue to face marked health, education, and criminal justice disparities rooted in economic adversity and poor social conditions. We acknowledge this because it matters, because it is a part of our story. Thank you. So we're stewards of an older building at Lakewood Congregational Church. At some point during the pandemic, when our buildings, uh, our building was mostly unoccupied, we started to notice that a large gutter was falling off the side of our building just a little bit at first. Um, upon investigation, we learned it was a decorative soffit. Didn't serve a purpose. It was it was decorative, original to the building, but large, like a. I can't um, measure it out, but big, really big. And if I can try to describe the location of the soffit, um, it was hanging off the top of a three-story section of our building, directly over an outside stairwell down to the basement boiler room. So not just three stories high, but three stories over a downward set of stairs also directly above my office, but that's somewhat beside the point. Um, <laughs> the point is it wasn't a simple fix. And just around the time the decorative soffit began its departure from the building, we were waiting to get on the schedule for some exterior painting work, which would require the same equipment needed to access that point in the building. And so for a while, we just assumed that we would get it fixed when it was our turn on the painting schedule. But that's not what happened. Because if you remember, uh, around, uh, and maybe still, but around that time in the pandemic, the, the schedule to get work done was long delayed. Everything was running behind. And so in the waiting period, the soffit became increasingly precarious. And every day it hung a little lower. And whenever a storm would pass through or even a particularly rainy or windy day, especially once we were back in the office, I would approach the church the next day with great trepidation, concerned at what I might find. When I would be sitting in my office, I would occasionally see a large chunk of plaster just fall down from the sky or, or maybe a large chunk of squirrel nest fall past my window, sometimes bouncing off the AC unit. And I was worried, of course, about the chance that it might swing the wrong way or the right way and break a window or hurt someone. For a couple of weeks, it became kind of a, a comedy of errors, kind of the, the way I spent most of my week. <laughs> That's not really true, I don't think. Um, but <laughs> a few times a day, I'd look out and there'd be a different group of people from church, a different committee, a different uh, kind of setup of people standing in the parking lot, looking up at it, seeking a solution. But then we'd all just kind of go back inside without a plan. 
And we weren't just sitting there doing nothing, watching it fall. We were thinking through ideas. We thought of um, like kind of wrapping a rope around it and pulling it down like a little Indiana Jones moment. We thought of uh, our custodian thought of standing on the roof and poking it with a broom, but he didn't because he's afraid of heights, thanks be to God. <laughs> <laughs> and it felt like <laughs> for a week or two, my full-time job was to stand in the parking lot and stare up at the soffit. Finally, one day a member of the community stopped by and he said, are you gonna fix that? <laughs> he said, I've been watching it fall little by little for months now. And we learned that that particular community member happened to work for a roofing company. And by the power of community building the next day, lo and behold, a team of Amish men with a long ladder stood in the parking lot looking up three stories and down the outward stairwell and scratched their heads and then they went home. <laughs> and the next day they came back with a project manager who had some equipment, but the equipment that he had, um, so now we had the team of Amish men, right? And then they also had a project manager who happened to look like Stretch Armstrong, like he was really buff. And, uh, <laughs> And he had a lift upon which they wanted to balance the ladder to reach the soffit. So we said no, so they went home. And all this time we wondered how did they build it to begin with? Like how did they get it up there so long ago, right? So the next day they came back with a rented extended lift, the kind that we needed and they safely and intentionally took down the soffit and they set it on the ground. And let me tell you, it's still there today. <laughs> the soffit was filled with squirrels and squirrel nests and um, the Amish men asked if they could take the squirrels home in a shoebox. That's <laughs> detail doesn't really connect to anything, but I like to <laughs> mention it. Okay, why am I telling you this story? <laughs> because uh, when, when Dave asked me to open our time together, he asked to speak to the church of today, right? That's, that's why I'm here to speak to the church to, to, of today. So I figured maybe I would tell a story about deferred building maintenance. Yeah. Or because when I was asked to speak to the church of today, I thought I should tell a story about hanging on by a thread. Or I thought I could tell a story about what if it crashes to the ground. These next two days are about rising up, though not about falling down. The story I want to reflect on with the church of today is a story about moving beyond this kind of communal procrastination so we can do the work of healing God's creation here and now. It's about moving beyond getting it fixed at some point, about moving beyond until it became increasingly precarious. 
about moving beyond, maybe it will fix itself. Our gospel reading today calls into question our tendency to put off the work of healing and liberation to another day. When it has already been put off for far too long. Luke's account of the gospel offers an indictment of the church for the ways in which we prolong the suffering of God's creation, God's people, God's earth by waiting for the perfect opportunity or checking all the right boxes rather than responding to the spirits urging here and now. In this passage, Luke introduces to us uh, a weary woman hanging on by a thread. We don't know her backstory, really. We know she had been bent over for 18 years, quite unable to stand up straight. We don't know what caused her ailment. Perhaps she was burdened by an accident or by a virus or by grief, or by depression, or by the weight of the world. Did she worship God every Sabbath day of those 18 years? Did the community know and love her? Did the community try to relieve her burden before? Or did they just watch her become increasingly precarious? I wonder what the teaching sounded like to her. Did the words of the prophets comfort her and validate her or did they afflict her and make her feel hopeless? Did she worship with praise or with lament? Luke tells us that Jesus looks up and he sees her because Jesus has a way of seeing the lost, the last, the least, the marginalized, the oppressed. Jesus looks up and he sees her. Jesus has a way of seeing the marginalized when they walk within a certain radius, even in a crowded room. And so he pauses his teachings and perhaps wanting to ask the community are you going to fix that? He sets her free. He puts his hands right on her body. And he says, sweet, beautiful, powerful child of God, rise up. He says, you're free now. And immediately she praises God which is a beautiful thing to do on the Sabbath day, especially because God is praised through every act of liberation, especially because acts of justice are acts of worship. She praises God, but immediately the leader of the synagogue is indignant. Couldn't she have waited until tomorrow? Now this isn't a good guy, bad guy story. The leader of the synagogue, I'm sure, did not wish pain on her. 
He affirmed the healing, just not in the way Jesus did it, just not in the time Jesus did it. He praised God by upholding the the righteous, the faithful traditions to preserve a collective identity that they that they were, that this community was. And so he was upholding his teachings, his understandings of the law. And in most cases, the leaders' traditions are not wrong in and of themselves. The suggestion here is not that we would throw away process and procedure, governance and structure, planning and strategizing altogether. We wouldn't throw them out the window. In fact, all of that can be and is often incredibly necessary. We know that, right? But the suggestion is that we do not cling to orthodoxy for orthodoxy's sake. Theologian and writer Debbie Thomas says, what the leader misses here is compassion. The kind of compassion that consistently sees the broken body, the broken soul, the broken spirit before it sees the broken commandment. This story illustrates a common thread throughout the gospel that the healing of God's creation doesn't care about timing or etiquette or procedures. It cares about compassion, justice, and love. The healing of God's creation cares about healing and liberation now. So this summer, I was among the 26 people from the Heartland Conference who uh, took the pilgrimage to Alabama to touch the holy ground of the civil rights movement. Among the most life-altering and striking realizations from that time was the reality of how long, how many centuries we have broken the bodies and the souls and the spirits of God's people, specifically in this case because of race, because of color because of ethnicity. The reality that we saw there in Alabama was how long we have broken bodies and how long we have allowed for their breaking. From the transatlantic slave trade, during which more than 12 million African men, women, and children were kidnapped, stolen from their land, and sold into slavery here in the Americas. 12 million, to the more than 4,400 documented and many more undocumented lynchings that took place between 1877 and 1950, to the 2.3 million human beings incarcerated today in America's prisons, disproportionately made up of those who are already bent over, who are already hanging by a thread. How long? One day on the bus uh, there on our pilgrimage, we read aloud Dr. King's entire letter from a Birmingham jail. 
And the conditions, let me tell you, on that bus were not perfect for the reading aloud of a letter. We were masked in that space and the bus fans were loud and it was hard to hear. The conditions weren't right, but we read it. His letter is really about delaying liberation by placing it on a timetable that is convenient. Dr. King's letter begins as a, as a letter to, to a man who had written to him. While confined here in the Birmingham City Jail, I came across your recent statement calling my present activities unwise and untimely. And Dr. King, there are many excerpts from this letter I could read, but I'll read this part. We have waited more than 340 years for our constitutional and God-given rights. The nations of Asia and Africa are moving like jet, with jet-like speed toward gaining political independence, but we still creep at horse and buggy pace toward gaining a cup of coffee at a lunch counter. Perhaps it is easy for those who have never felt the stinging darts of segregation to say, wait. But when you have seen the vicious mobs lynch your mothers and fathers at will and drown your sisters and brothers at whim, when you have seen hate-filled policemen curse, kick, and even kill your black brothers and sisters, when you suddenly find your tongue twisted as you explain to your six-year-old daughter why she can't go to the public amusement park that has been just been advertised on television, and you see tears welling up in her eyes when she is told that Fun Town is closed to colored children, and see the ominous clouds of inferiority beginning to form in her little mental sky, and you see the, her beginning to distort her personality by developing an unconscious bitterness toward white people. When you are living constantly at tiptoe stance, never quite knowing what to expect next, and are plagued with inner fears and outer resentments, when you are forever fighting a degenerating sense of nobodiness, then you will understand why we find it difficult to wait. Are we going to fix that? The time for healing and liberation is now. Communal procrastination in our churches is the stumbling block that prevents us from hearing the urgency of the cries of the earth and the cries of the poor here and now. Perhaps because we're daunted by the task, daunted by the enormity of the world's grief, daunted by the struggles of the church of today, perhaps we're daunted and preoccupied by the budgetary and the building and the governance concerns of our congregations. Perhaps because we're preoccupied by the decreasing availability of good pastors. And it's easy for us in our exhaustion and our overwhelm to lose our clarity of purpose and vision and put it off for another day. So you might be thinking, wow, I cannot believe you just told a story comparing a part of your aging church building to the deep-rooted and ongoing sin of slavery and segregation and racism. I know it's a big leap. 
But the comparison is that we are susceptible to resolving the issues of our time at the same pace and that the pace is procrastination. The pace is, I'll do it when it aligns with another project. The pace is getting it fixed at some point. It's until it became increasingly precarious. It's maybe it will fix itself. But beloved, the healing of God's creation is awaiting us here and now. And maybe it is a story about what if it crashes to the ground? I'm here to preach the good news to this gathered and scattered body of Christ about rising up. We find ourselves today in a glorious opportunity to rise up, to make all things new. We're challenged by Luke's reminder, by Dr. King's reminder, even by this uh, member of my community who happened to work for a roofing company, that liberation has already been put off for centuries and God calls us to participate in liberation and healing at the moment we are in now. We may have convinced ourselves that it is best to put off the work of God, of healing God's creation until, until after the pandemic, until it fits the budget, until you have the right pastor, until your church is bigger, until everyone is in agreement about process and procedure, we may be tempted to respond to the call when all the right pieces are in place. But the truth is our churches are falling apart. The church is in decline. Some of our churches are hanging by a thread. Some of them are becoming increasingly precarious precarious. Some of them are concluding ministry as they knew it. But if the church's survival is dependent on maintaining that status quo, dependent on procedure for the sake of itself, if our survival is built on etiquette so rigid that we cannot make a decision to act on our shared values, if the church of today depends on systems and structures that force us into communal procrastination and prevent us from liberating God's creation, God's people, God's earth, then for God's sake, let it crash to the ground. Because the spirit's movement is not dependent on any of that. Do you see what happens to that community in the gospel of Luke? When the leader of the synagogue perceived the healing as an interruption from praising God, Jesus saw that the healing was the praising. The healing was the work. The justice was the praising. The liberation was the worship. She stood up straight and she began praising God and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. The movement of the Holy Spirit is fed by liberated people 
by God's creation healed, by community built, by land acknowledged, by grace felt, given and received. The church and alive and well, the church risen up is a church that is liberated and is liberating creation to praise God. And the liberating fuels the praising. The praising fuels the liberating and it is here that the church is alive and well. It is in the tending to the needs of God's creation, God's people, God's earth, that God's church will rise up. And it is on that that we will build the church of the future and the church of today. Thanks be to God. We hope that this space for prayer and pondering has been helpful to you in some way. The Heartland Conference trusts that the Holy Spirit empowers us to inspire, connect, equip, and support one another to grow as faithful disciples and responsible stewards following Jesus' call to extravagantly love all God's children and creation. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, we are glad you have journeyed with us, if only for a little while. If you'd like to find out more about our life together in the Heartland Conference, we invite you to visit our website at heartlanducc.org. Blessings on you.